tuning in to our podcast, Salt and Light, where we'll cover foundational principles for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Enjoy this episode with ears to hear and hearts that listen. So let's go check the facts with your host, also known as my dad, Casey Harrison. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Salt and Light Assembly, where we expose genetically altered Christianity and we replace it with a firm foundation for a relationship with Christ. My name is Casey Harrison, and this is the 513 Project. So far, we've been going through the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, through the genealogy of Jesus Christ, or what I like to call the origin story of Christ. And last week, we actually learned about how God is repetitious. He loves repetition because he knows that that's the only way to create an instinctive reaction. Well, this week we're going to be examining Matthew chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Salathiel, and Salathiel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abayud, Abayud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor. Now those names were quite a mouthful, but let's look at some quick observations of this scripture. There's one place mentioned, same place that was mentioned last week, Babylon. And there's six names between these two scriptures. Last week we learned that the name Babylon meant confusion. We also learned that Jeconiah meant whom Jehovah establishes. Well, let's look at the meanings of the rest of these names. Salathiel means I have asked of God. Zerubbabel means born at Babylon. Abiud means my father is majesty. Eliakim means raising up by God. Azer means helper. So when you put all these names together in this part of the genealogy of Jesus, God is telling every single one of us that we are not alone. All right, you're probably wondering, Casey, how in the world did you get we are not alone from those scriptures? Let me explain. And I'm going to explain it from the perspective of Jeconiah. In the Greek, his name is Jeconiah. In the Hebrew, it's Jehoiachin. They're the same name. So let's review a little bit about Jehoiachin's life to see how God is saying you're not alone. Okay? 2 Kings 25. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, took over Jerusalem and captured all of the Israelite people. In this process, he also took prisoner the king of Judah, which was Jehoiachin. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't stop at just taking him prisoner. He actually killed his entire family in front of him. And then to top it off, he burned out his eyes so that the murder of his family was the last thing he would ever see. It almost sounds like a Game of Thrones episode to me. Well, after burning out Jehoiachin's eyes, he takes him back to Babylon and throws him in prison. Time goes by, King Nebuchadnezzar dies. A new king takes over. Now here's where the scripture, Matthew 1, 12 and 13, meet up with 2 Kings 25, 27 and Ezra 1. In fact, let's start reading at 2 Kings 25, 27. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 20th month and on the 27th day of the month, evil Murdoch, king of Babylon, graciously freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah from prison. But wait, there's more. Keep reading. Verse 28, And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat 
above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. Do you see the picture so far? A new king has come over after Nebuchadnezzar's died, takes Jehoiachin and releases him from prison, but doesn't stop by just releasing him. Instead, he looks at all the other kings of Babylon and says, hey, I'm going to put Jehoiachin above all of you. Let's go back to the scripture. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given to him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. This is an amazing foreshadowing of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And through this history, with Matthew 1, 12 through 13, we see that amazing characteristic of Jesus Christ, honor. Jesus honors you. Jesus honors by backing up what he said he's going to do. Never being early, never being late, but always being on time. The timing of God is perfect. Now, why do I say it's perfect? Jehoiachin was the king of Judah just about three months before he got captured. And during his entire reign, he was stuck in a war room having war room councils because the Babylonians had Israel under siege. I mean, they had cut off the food supply, cut off the water supply. People were starving and thirsty. God could have delivered him during that time. God's got the power. But let me ask you this. I said God's never early. And given the history of the Israelite people and the way that they always turned against God in the past before this, doesn't it make it plausible that Jehoiachin and the Israelite people could have done the same thing? Doesn't it seem plausible that if God would have shown up and delivered them from the Babylonians in that moment, that Jehoiachin could have become corrupt by his own people later on down the line? We've seen it happen earlier in the Bible with Aaron and Moses. Moses went up on the mountain, and while he was there, the people thought that Moses had died, and they wanted Aaron to build them a statue that they could worship. And Aaron conceded to that. So is it possible that the Israelite people could have swayed Jehoiachin and corrupted him? Absolutely. Now, I'm not God, so I can't say that that would have happened. But logically, it makes sense. On the flip side, it's not like God to just hang one of his own people out to dry. God never disciplines without a cause. And not showing up would have been cruel and unusual punishment, in my opinion. And cruelty is not in God's character. Oh, but wait, Casey, God was cruel back in the Old Testament. Listen, there's a difference between cruelty and discipline. Discipline is one of the purest forms of love. Speaking as a father, if I didn't discipline my son from time to time, he would go haywire and grow up thinking he could do whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it. That's not the way life works. So out of love, I discipline him. God wasn't cruel in the Old Testament. He disciplined his people. Let's get back to it. God's not early. He's never late. God shows up at the perfect time. And in this story of Jehoiachin, he showed up at the perfect time. A time when Jehoiachin had been through hell. I mean, his eyes had been burned out after watching his family get killed in front of him. He'd been in prison for years. He was broken. So God shows up 
at that overwhelming time for Jehoiachin. And God shows us his overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. And why do I say overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love? Because straight out of prison, Jehoiachin is elevated to a position above all the other Babylonian kings. A position that placed him with an ability to have direct relationship with the king of all the kings of Babylon. That's a place of honor. That's God showing up at the perfect time. The genealogy of Jesus mirrors the same actions that we see in 2 Kings. Let's take all the names we read in Matthew chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and put those meanings together, and you'll see why I say that you are not alone. Whom Jehovah established, Jesus Christ, he asked God to allow him to be born in a place of confusion, so that the genius of God would be known, raising him up through the power of the Father God, so that he could be a helper. Jehoiachin was established as the king of Judah for three months. Jesus was established in his ministry on earth for three years. Jehoiachin was captured, forced to watch his loved ones be slaughtered. Jesus was disconnected from his family in the Garden of Eden. He watched his family kill each other here on earth, and he continuously watched his family get slaughtered by sin and death. Jehoiachin was defaced, dethroned, and placed in prison. Jesus was beaten, bruised, died on a cross, and went to the prison of hell. Jehoiachin was released from prison by the power of the king of Babylon. Jesus was released from hell through the power of the creator of creation. Jehoiachin sat at the king's table for the rest of his life in a position above all of the other kings of Babylon. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's been given the position and the title of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But wait, there's more. Because that just covers God the Father establishing Jesus. Jesus actually asked to be born in the place of confusion. That was his choice. Why in the world would he want to be born here? It's a pretty simple answer. Being born on earth and living a life through this world gives Jesus the ability as God and man to say that he knows what you're going through. And it takes away your ability to say, you don't know what I'm going through, Jesus. Look at Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery. This world is Babylon, the place of confusion. And this world is full of death. When we were all born, we were given life, but that process of giving life also started the race toward death. I'm talking in a physical sense. In a spiritual sense, we were born dead. What I mean by being born dead, we were born separated from God. In fact, Jesus was the only person that was ever born that was not spiritually dead. And Jesus was the only person that went through all of this sinful world in his life, kicking the butt of every evil thing that he came across. Remember, that doesn't mean he didn't face evil. He faced off with evil. Because nothing in this world is new. There was homosexuality back in the day of Jesus, There were prostitutes, there was drugs, there was lying, people were backstabbing each other, there was all sorts of selfish things going on. 
Similar things happened in the day of Jesus that happened today. Which makes Jesus the undisputed expert on dealing with this twisted world. All because he asked to be born here. I don't know about you, but I didn't ask to be born. I don't, really don't think none of us did. Our parents just kind of got together. Because if I had the choice to ask to be born here, I would have asked for a much easier lifestyle. I mean, rich family, no responsibilities, you know, set for life type situation. Comfortable situation. But not Jesus. He asked to be put in a place of confusion. He asked to be the son of a blue-collar worker. You know, the kind of person that breaks his back every day for his family. He asked to be in the family of a carpenter. And when I say carpentry, I'm not talking about woodworking. I've been to Israel. There's not a lot of wood. Come to find out, to be a carpenter in those days meant that you shaped stones into different shapes to fit into buildings. Kind of like a stonemason. Carving stones. That's tough work. Jesus chose to be in that family. In fact, the way that Jesus came into this world made him more of a pariah than anyone else in his hometown. In that culture, his birth was pretty scandalous. Mary wasn't married to Joseph when she got pregnant. And then on top of that, Mary said it was God's kid. And Joseph still married her. Do you really think for one moment that Jesus didn't get picked on? Be real. It was not an easy life for Jesus growing up. And that was the life that Jesus asked for. And he asked for that so that when you have an issue, he can be the one that validates your feelings. No matter what situation you're in, Jesus can say, I get it. That does suck. You know, I've been in a similar place to you, you know, when I lived on earth. And I can be your helper. God makes sure to remind us in these scriptures that we're not alone. We have a helper. I'm going to say this in the most loving way possible. If you think that you're in a situation that Jesus hasn't faced before in his life, get over yourself. But Casey, Jesus has never been through a divorce. Have you read the Bible? Keep in mind, Jesus is God. So in Jeremiah 3.8, Jesus has been through a divorce. Jeremiah 3.8 says, She, meaning Israel, saw that for all the adulteries of the faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. God divorced Israel. He's been through a divorce. Yeah, but Jesus never had to lose someone he loved. All right, let's just leave the fall of man out of the equation for a moment. Um, yeah, he did. John 11, Jesus lost somebody that was near and dear to his heart. It brought him to tears. Lazarus. Jesus has been through heartache. Oh, but Jesus has never had to go without food or water like a lot of the impoverished people of the world. Those poor, poor people. Seriously? Matthew 4, Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights without food. And I've seen the desert that scholars say that Jesus went off into. There's not a lot of water. Oh, well, Jesus never had to deal with people not believing in him. He was Jesus. Have you read your Bible? Because Mark chapter 6 talks about how Jesus was rejected by all of his town. He could do no mighty miracles there. What it boils down to is Jesus has been through it. And the best person to help you go through a situation is someone that's been through similar situations to that one. 
That's why Jesus asked to be born in the place of confusion so that he could become your helper through the grace of God, through a relationship with him. He will help you. You are not alone. Which begs the question, what does that really look like? Like, Casey, give me an example. All right, let me give you a story. A single woman, two kids. She's a Christian. She moves into a neighborhood. And the house that she moves into is right next door to an atheist. Well, one day the atheist is trimming his bushes and he overhears this Christian woman praying in her bedroom. Now, what she's praying about is her finances. She doesn't have enough money to pay her all of her bills, to pay her rent, and put food on the table for her kids. And she doesn't want her kids to go hungry, so she's asking God for his help. Lord, please provide me some food. Well, a light bulb goes off in the atheist's mind. He's like, you know what? I can prove to this Christian woman that God doesn't exist and that there's no point in praying to him for his help because I'll help her out. So he goes to the grocery store and buys a month's worth of food for her entire family. Comes back to her house, puts all the bags on her porch, rings the doorbell, and hides in the bushes. Well, when this Christian woman opens the door, she sees all these groceries and she's excited. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for providing for my family. And that's when the atheist pops out of the bushes and goes, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, God didn't provide that for you. I provided that for you. There is no God. Ha! And this Christian woman calms down, looks him in the eye, looks up to heaven and says, God, thank you for providing for my family and using the devil's hands to do it. Now, that's not a, a true story. It was a joke I heard a while back. And it's still a good example because it's true. Maybe not the exact situation, but those scenarios happen all the time. You're not alone in this life because you've always had Jesus right there with you in every moment of every situation you've been in. Jesus said that he will never leave you or forsake you, and he honors his word, which means that he's there when you're doing the things that he's asked you to do and when you're doing the things that you don't think anyone sees. Wherever you find yourself, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, He is there to help you make the right decision. And He's there to walk with you through the wrong decision that you make. God established Jesus in the position that Jesus is in so that Jesus could establish you in a better position than where you're at. And if you've ever tried to establish something, you know that takes time. It takes patience. And when it comes to establishing people, have you been in a relationship? That takes time. That takes patience. As Jesus establishes us, it takes faith. It takes trust. And Jesus had faith in you first. Jesus trusted you First, that's the only way that we could ever have faith and trust in him. He showed us how, and he's here to help us now. Matthew chapter 1, 12 and 13 shows the characteristics of the honor of Christ. He said he'll never leave you. He sticks to it. And it also shows us how Jesus directs that honor towards his brothers and sisters. So don't you think it's time that we start directing that honor back to him? I do. So that's what I want you to pray about this week. 
Pray about how you can honor Jesus. And I'll give you a couple of quick examples of how to do it. Pray. Have a conversation with him. Actually open your Bible and read what he's said to you already. Honor him with your time. Honor him with your love. And be sure to tune in next week as we continue down this origin story of Jesus and learn what God has to say about how we can direct our honor back toward him. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week. If this message has been helpful for you, please share it. Other people need to hear what God has to say as well. Also, if you're linked to us on Facebook, like this post. Leave an encouraging comment that other people can see that will invite them in to hear God's Word. If you want to learn more about this ministry, you can go to our website, www.saltandlightassembly.org. That's salt, A-N-D, light, assembly.org. You can find out what ministries we support, what other ministries we have to offer. The YouTube channel is coming very soon. And also, if you want to help support this ministry financially, you can do so there as well. Not only that, you can subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you the ability to follow the ministry and how we're trying to impact the world. So I hope you tune back in next week. And until then, be bold, be strong, and be blessed.